Welcome to Worth the Telling. I'm Kristen McTiernan, sci-fi author and founder of the Nonsense Free Editor, bringing you analysis and insight into the storytelling in movies, TV, and of course books, and how those stories change us as people. You can find video versions of these podcasts on the Nonsense Free Editor's YouTube channel, as well as many other resources for writers, readers, and movie fans. Now, let's begin. The X-Files, that wondrous TV show that spawned a whole generation of sci-fi nerds, the one that prompted us to open our eyes and really look at the world around us, because the truth is out there. I was there from the beginning of The X-Files, wrestling every Friday with my sisters over whether our single television set would be turned to ABC for the back half of TGIF, or we'd turn to Fox for the much darker, more grown-up X-Files. For those of you young folks, or for anyone raised in a television-free environment, The X-Files followed two FBI agents as they investigated strange cases, those without easy explanations. Fox Mulder is a true believer, one who enthusiastically chases after UFOs, Bigfoot, and other oddities that crossed his desk. Dana Scully is an MD, a practical skeptic who does not believe in anything she can't see, including the Catholic faith she was raised in. It was this believer-skeptic dichotomy that was at the heart of the show as it explored its many mysteries, some lighthearted, some simply odd, and some that caused the viewers to question who they really were and what they really believed in. One of these episodes was Season 7's Signs and Wonders, an episode that, at first blush, seems to be about a splinter Christian group that has turned to violence. But it ends up being about something else entirely. Specifically, it asks us to determine if, given a choice, we would accept a pretty, self-flattering lie over an unpalatable truth and the consequences for making the wrong choice. Now, people get twitchy when the subject of religion comes up, so please relax when I tell you this episode does not debate the finer points of Christian theology or compare and contrast with other faiths, and neither will I. On a rainy night in the aptly named town of Blessing, Tennessee, a young man named Jared packs his suitcase, feverishly muttering prayers to himself. Obviously frightened and in a hurry, Jared grabs his pistol and runs out to his car, only to be confronted with rattlesnakes. A lot of them. The young man's nasty death summons Agents Mulder and Scully, not because it's clearly a murder. I mean, how else would 50 poisonous snakes end up in a car? But also because at this time of year, snakes should be hibernating. And also, exactly zero snakes were found near Jared's body. Not so much as a scale. Mulder and Scully head first to poor Jared's funeral at Blessing Community Church and speak with Reverend Mackey, the kindly, unassuming pastor. He points out Jared's grieving pregnant girlfriend, Gracie, and informs the agents that both she and Jared had come to his church after fleeing a fundamentalist, snake-handling cult, the Church of God with Signs and Wonders, presided over by Reverend Enoch O'Connor. Reverend Mackey makes it very clear the snake-handlers did not take their defection well. The character of Enoch O'Connor is an interesting one. To say he is aggressive and off-putting would be an understatement. Tight-lipped, constantly frowning, and seeming to always be teetering just on the edge of an outburst, neither the agents nor the viewer come away at all confused as to why Gracie and Jared fled this man's congregation. But alas, he didn't kill Jared. He was out of state at the time. Though of course that doesn't rule out his flock. 
Our opinion of Reverend Enoch O'Connor is further cemented when, on the agent's second trip to his church, he sneaks up behind Agent Scully, grabs her, and forces her hand into the snake enclosure, not relenting until Mulder holds a gun on him and demands he let her go. Entirely unconcerned that he was being arrested, O'Connor casually tells Mulder, your partner could have learned something about herself if you hadn't stopped me. Some powerful good news, maybe. Mulder isn't impressed by the seeming madman, and the feeling is quite mutual. You think because you're educated you're better than most? You ain't. Your problem is that you don't know what side you're on. I do. The show tips its hand in the next scene when the snakes come for O'Connor in his jail cell. He is not the one controlling them. Far from it. After he's found the next morning in a terrible state, teetering near death, Gracie, who is revealed to be O'Connor's daughter, refuses to allow the hospital staff to administer antivenom because she knows her father would not have wanted it. It's a test of faith, she says. But Reverend Mackey is right there with her, counseling her not to respect her father's religious beliefs, even going so far as to question whether she actually doesn't wish him to get better at all, and she's hiding behind the veneer of her father's beliefs to be rid of him. Just as she's about to relent and Mackey leaves the room to go get a nurse, the venom begins to seep from O'Connor's wounds and he opens his eyes. Mulder and Scully arrive too late at the hospital. O'Connor has taken Gracie and fled. Back at the Signs and Wonders Church, we're confronted with what seems to be a hellish scene. Enoch O'Connor dunking his pregnant daughter underwater, a crude and rough baptism, then holding her down on the altar as she pleads for the silent, observing congregation to help her. But then, something stirs, and she screams that something is wrong with the baby. Yes, yes, there certainly is. O'Connor lays hands on Gracie's belly, and she delivers... not a baby, but snakes. You see, Jared wasn't the baby's father. He was infertile, something he found out well into Gracie's pregnancy, and it was that knowledge that got him killed by the baby's actual father, Reverend Mackey. We never learn exactly how Mackie slithered into Gracie's life, but we do know she was already pregnant when she and Jared left O'Connor's church, left the safety of her father and his believers. Without that backstory, it's hard to say if there were signs that a careful person would have noticed in Mackie, subtly showing the evil he intended for her. But we don't have that. We're only left to guess. What we do have is a more complete understanding of her father, in the end, Enoch O'Connor was determined to save his daughter from damnation, regardless of the fact that she'd transgressed by having sex outside of marriage. He wasn't willing to throw her away because she failed to live up to his standards, as Reverend Mackey had stated to the agents at the beginning of the show. Far from it. In the process of saving her, he nearly died by snake venom and then was shot by Agent Mulder, though not fatally. And none of that mattered to him because he believed in the literal meaning of his religious text, and he believed that his daughter's life and her soul were more important than his. The show doesn't tell you what to believe. It offers no explanation for what exactly Reverend Mackey is or why the venom expelled itself from O'Connor while he lay near death. Nor does it give you any ammunition to form your own opinion on the Christian theology that each reverend was preaching to their flocks. In a revealing scene midway through, the show cuts between Mackey's subdued, gentle Bible study and O'Connor's raucous, snake-handling, holy roller-esque service. Both groups are reading from the same verse, Revelations 3.16. 
So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. These are words spoken by an angel of the Lord to quote-unquote lukewarm Christians on the Day of Judgment, those who have lived rich, comfortable lives and thus have seen no need to spend much time pondering their Creator. Enoch speaks the words of the verse literally and demands his flock be on fire for the Lord. But there isn't much more expounding from him, just music, handling snakes, and that impassioned writhing certain denominations do. Likewise, in Mackey's church, after he reads that same verse, he looks at the group and says, that sounds pretty harsh. But then we cut to another character after that and don't actually get to hear Mackey's interpretation of the scripture. This, to my mind, was an excellent decision. Instead of allowing the viewer to get bogged down in their view of theology and legalism and deciding who had the more righteous interpretation, the show made its point in the behavior of the characters. Mulder said it best at the conclusion of the episode while reflecting that he had also been taken in by Mackey. The devil is the man who tells you what you want to hear. Specifically, he tells you what you want to hear to accomplish his own ends. The world is full of these devils, both in and out of the church, and this episode was instrumental in hammering home to me the need to be especially critical of people who poured metaphorical honey in my ear. The devil is the young man who cheers on feminist talking points online, specifically sex positivity and uh, A-word rights. Not because he is at all interested in women's career, her goals, or her happiness, but because he'd like sex on the first date, please, and not one single thing to do with you afterwards. The devil is the guitar-playing youth pastor who assures his young charges that the Bible is just a metaphor, really, and the only thing that you need to focus on is loving other people, especially him. The devil is the guy who runs for office and makes a big deal about how if you vote for him and give him money, he'll single-handedly fight those people who are responsible for all your troubles. Just give him your vote and maybe some campaign donations every four years or so and watch his income soar ever higher while yours remains stagnant or even goes down. And now in this modern era of deconstruction and redefining words... The devil is the one who tells you that you did not just read what you thought you read. You did not see what you thought you saw. No, this person is the one who will correctly interpret for you through the proper lens. Don't bother with what you actually experienced or felt. No, no, listen to them. They'll tell you what the truth is. The X-Files was masterful at creating an ambiguous situation and allowing the viewer to interpret it for themselves, something we don't often see in the modern television landscape. It's an especially powerful storytelling tool that can create a whole new outlook in the viewer. And that's exactly what the X-Files did for me. More than once, actually. I'm curious if I'm the only one who has a favorite episode that gave me a gut check. Probably not. The truly great shows are the ones that leave us thinking days, weeks, or even decades later. And as far as I'm concerned, that's the way it should be. Thank you for listening to Worth the Telling. For more from me, you can find a link in the show notes. And, of course, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe. We'll see you next time.